It's literally a dream come true to look out the window at my vegetable garden and see 12 brand new raised beds. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of November 29, 2012. Actually, you call, you, you call them brand new raised beds, but you actually have some beautiful collards and uh, rutabagas and beets and cabbage and Brussels sprouts and so forth well, already growing. A few of uh, three of them are spanking brand new, or brand spanking new. But uh, and you're right, I have had some out there since. Um, when was yeah, that? When was that? We'll September figure that out. September or so, point. when um, I immediately planted some veg that just took off. You're right. So they're not all brand new, but it's t- but we had a plan to put either 12 or 16 beds and in, you know, rows of four. So right now we have three rows of four. We have 12, which may be all we decide to construct, or we may decide we want to add four additional ones later on and have 16. But the point is, this could be closure, <laughs> or it's, it's at least getting close to closure. And to I see agree that with out you. There, we, are t- we are to the we are to one finish point that we had earlier identified, yes, thanks right. to my brother Tom Borden. God oh, bless him. Could not have done it without Tom. Tom has made so many trips up to the farm and has helped in so many ways to get those beds built, you know, cut the pieces, drill the pieces, put the beds together, lift them up with the tractor, reposition them, ease them down, get them level. Um, he's just been terrific, and we are so grateful for his help. And thanks to that help, we now have those 12 beds finished. Right. Um, what we have in terms of planting space, each bed is 16 feet long by 4 feet wide. And so uh, if you have, if you figure 64 square feet per bed, that's 768 square feet total of this intensive growing area we've created. That's a whole lot less than we have tried to cultivate in the past. Yeah. But our assumption is it's going to be um, as productive or maybe even more productive. Right. And, and uh, one factor in that is that I, plant, I planted the, um, the transplants much more intensively. They're closer together, um, and I know that that does, the, the closer together and you don't have as much air and ventilation in between, there's more chance for disease and that kind of thing. Um, however, I'm keeping an eye on things. The nice thing about having everything grouped and close to where we are and you know, and easier to mulch and all of that is that I do think I can exercise a level of control over weeds and other uh, pests that I haven't been able to in the past. And that probably is the main reason we made the decision to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, to be honest, losing control yeah. of the weeds out on Badge Hill. And our hope and expectation is that this will allow us a way to remain in control by giving us a clean line of demarcation between where we allow grass to grow 
and just mow it with a lawnmower. And on the other hand, where we're doing the intensive cultivation. And I think we may have mentioned this on a previous podcast. What we've lost control, what we have not gained control of are the moles. We have moles and therefore voles using their holes to come up and eat. The voles are the ones that are actually eating my vegetation. But the the moles are, are disturbing as well because they create pathways for the voles to come up. The moles are after grubs and that kind of thing. Uh, the voles want to eat and have eaten um, the roots of my root vegetables. So I've got to figure out a way to do it. And what we talked about before, I think, was our unsuccessful attempts at putting any kind of hardware cloth in the base of those raised beds to keep moles out. So now we're faced with coming up with some other strategy. We just weren't able to do it um, with the way we were constructing those beds. So stay tuned for a podcast in the future um, describing what we have done to deal with the mole slash vole problem. We tried putting out mouse traps for the voles, and it has. Yeah, cl- we've not yet not found a bait that is sufficiently enticing to them to act as a to to kill any mole or vole. So yeah. um, that's a continuing saga. We're in the middle of it, and we hope we will be able to report to you at some point that we've figured out how to deal with that. Right. Well, right now, eight of the, the 12 beds have drip irrigation. And that's on one trunk line, and I have another trunk line to construct to add drip irrigation to the other four beds. And uh, it's probably good to have a little detour here and talk about our big plans for tomorrow. Right. You're having surgery on your shoulder. They will put me to sleep, and my doctor, Dr. Hartzog in Montgomery, my orthopedic surgeon, will um, slowly restore some mobility to my left shoulder uh, by arthroscopically clipping whatever is holding the shoulder in its configuration now. And when I awaken, I will have considerably improved mobility in my shoulder, and it will hurt in ways that I cannot now imagine. So that part we're not looking forward to, but we have to keep our eyes on the prize, which is after a, the recuperative period, he's thinking between three to five weeks of the really painful part. Correct. Then you will notice strength and, and mobility in your shoulder that you have not had before. And just the, you know, hopefully restoring some of that muscle tone up there. That's that right. You've lost. And, and after that, that uh, cup period of, recuperation, it's our expectation that I will be adding that trunk to drip beds five through eight. Um, And I also need, and I guess this will wait now until after the recuperation, I need to bury the drip lines for beds nine through 16. Mm -hmm. Right now they're right up on top of the soil and rather vulnerable to somebody Mm -hmm. stepping on them or, you know, disconnecting them by accident or something like that. You're talking about the one, the um, the lines that are on the soil, as opposed to the the pipes that run down there on the sides. Are you talking about what's in the aisles? Yes, I'm talking okay, about yeah. what's between the beds, and I've got header and I've got spaghetti mm-hmm. hose and all that's just yeah. sitting up on top of the soil. That's what I thought you meant because needs to be buried. I don't plan for anybody to be stepping into the bed to <laughs> step up, and I'm covering that up with mulch and all anyway. But you're right, and one thing that it's um. Our land out there is not level, and so that's part of what's been was so um, frustrating and time-consuming for you and Tom um, in constructing these to, to get everything level. And from having to do so much earth moving, 
between the aisles between the beds now is very unstable. You wouldn't somebody who has trouble walking might not want to walk out there because it's, it's not level. So what I'm hoping is part and parcel with covering those those uh, lines up will be leveling everything up so that it's walkable. So and another thing, I like my little rolling cart that I can sit on, and I can't really do much with that, not because it's so hilly. Yeah, so, it's uh, hard to find any spot that's level out there right now, but we hope that's a temporary condition that will be um, addressed when we have the, the lines buried. And when then they're we'll, buried, and then we can get rakes or whatever it takes to level things out, and if we need to right. plant some more ryegrass or just see what grows and, and uh, try to keep it down in the aisles. Um, I really do expect a much better result with the vegetables in the um, in the summer. So um, that's. It, but should we talk about what's planted out there? Or yeah, let's do. Um, well, I think we may have already discussed in the previous podcast that um, I have the 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 brassicas, the fall veg, and my garlic is in. And it's really interesting. The um, Italian garlic is already showing its head coming up, uh, sprouting through the soil. The silver skin garlic, not so much. I saw one sprout. They were planted at the same time. But so I, I don't know exactly what's holding it back or whether the other one's just super speedy because <clears throat> I have to confess, I didn't document last year uh, when I planted garlic how quickly the garlic came up. So this year I will make a note that, you know, it's taken it what twenty days or you know three weeks for for a good showing from the Italian garlic, but it's been that long, and I have maybe out of the exact amount you know I've got half a bed planted in Italian, half in silver skin, one sprout showing in mm. the silver skin silver skin. So um, we'll we'll figure out what's going on and keep you posted about that. Um, Strawberries are doing well. Have a bed of 48 strawberries, all mulched. Um, and then yesterday, I put out a little bit more cover crop, put some wheat out. And I'll probably, if today the weather permits, put out black oats and some more wheat in some of the other beds as cover crop. Um, and then after that, we're just simply waiting for the um, the next tranche of planting, which starts in January with onion transplants. And maybe even some lettuce transplants. I really have a lot of lettuce seed, and I may just, um, you know, wait till spring to, to sow that, but um, early spring. But for sure, onions go in in January. And then I have a whole host of winter plantings that will go into those beds. Beets and um, mustard greens and pe uh, early peas, spring peas. Potatoes, I guess I'll try those again and hope that the voles don't get them. Uh, radishes, spinach, Swiss chard. I've got some turnips out there, but I'll probably put in some more. Actually, I already have some chard too right now, but might put in more. Um, and then in March, I could be looking at kohlrabi, um, carrots, maybe even corn. I mean, if by the 15th of the month, I should be able to do that theoretically. And uh, if I wanted to do something radical, like try some really, really early tomatoes or something. <laughs> um, I might be adventurous just to see how they do because I'm convinced that the earlier I can put things out and let them get established before the heat and humidity hit with the bugs, the better off I am. And you were also telling me yesterday or the day before 
that there may be a viable window for very end-of-season planting. Yes, and I'll tell you why. This really doesn't have to do with our raised beds, but it's a um, what I, an, a discovery. You know, we in the past, we've had compost, and we've had compost volunteers, and we've had some interesting uh, conversations about that. But this year, a zucchini plant came out of the compost, and it's not protected from the deer. It's outside the fence. But just it's in the remnants of a compost pile. I've actually harvested two small zucchinis from that. And the um, bugs, the, the squash bugs, squash vine borers, neither one of those got that plant. So that tells me that, um, and actually we just had our first freeze last two, three days ago. Mm-hmm. So um, even if I could, now that may be, an, it, that's an unusually late uh, uh, date for the first freeze but nevertheless has always been regarded as an unusually late right Um, climate change we don't know what's changing well something's changing and um but anyway as a result i'm i have a renewed determination that i'm going to plant some late squash uh next year just use one of those raised beds and dedicate it to uh late august early september just see what i can uh, get out of the ground because by that time the plant actually was viable so we'll see and that's really sort of that's a nice segue into this whole 12 season philosophy that you and a 12 month philosophy that you and I have developed about growing things we know that with the heat and humidity we have here in the south the the summer doldrums like mid-July through yeah. the end of August, are seldom going to be that productive. So we're sort of, uh, other than okra, you can always yeah. depend on okra to keep yeah, producing okra, straight bless through Yeah, okra, heart, that. just goes on through. <laughs> but with these other crops, we're looking at an early summer burst of growth and then a late summer burst of growth. So you and I are going to be looking at sort of milking that late summer burst for the heat loving more or less at the same time we're planting fall veg right so it's going to be an interesting way of transitioning that and making it work and you and i are in the process of developing uh, an approach to that that we can share with others and we're planning to have a workshop in march here um with March the help 12th, of Mallory right. Kelly and Chip mm-hmm. East, mm-hmm. Uh, extension agents here in the state of Alabama. And the focus of that workshop really is this, how do you, how do you use your garden effectively 12 months out of the right. year? Yeah, the four-season garden. And um, I know a lot of our friends are involved with four-season gardens in terms of perennials and, or, and, and ornamentals, but we want to make that focus also on vegetable production. So we'll we'll see how that goes. And of course, good organic practices, good gardening practices in general. We'll talk about cover crops. We'll talk about uh, using um, row cover to keep pests out. Um, all of those standard practices really that can help uh, trap crops. That's another one that can help a person um, effectively battle the pests, battle the um, soil-borne viruses and diseases, um, and get the most out of their their growing. 
Well, here's a question for you. You alluded to it earlier, but I'm going to ask you to uh, explore it a little more deeply now. We have 12 beds in place. We know that we could very comfortably fit four more. Right. So how are you going to make the decision, and it will be your decision, how will you make the decision whether to add those four additional beds? Probably to plant the the, veg, the list of vegetables I mentioned a little bit earlier, the, the early spring or late, late winter, early spring plantings, see how much bed space they take up. And then if, you know, they've filled it up and I still haven't even planted heat-loving vegetables, that's probably when I'll go, oops, we need four more. <laughs> um, if that is the way you're going to make the decision, you've already decided we're going to add four more. But they may not fill it up. Oh, of course they will. We know that you will always run out of real estate. You ran out of real estate when we had four times this much real estate. So if if you're going to make the decision on that basis alone, then we've already made our decision to add the, the right. next four. Here's another factor, and this is something we talked about briefly um, in the past, that adding four more and having 16 gives us a little bit of flexibility about rotation of crops and especially because of climate change, I guess, some of the the, the seasons kind of blending into each other in a little bit. Um, this year, for example, I had to terminate perfectly good peppers just and that was so that we could build the raised beds. But if you have a little bit extra space, then you can let your summer veg that, like I said, first frost was November, what, um, 20th, 22nd, yeah, something like that. So um, with that nice long growing season, I really don't want to have to terminate the peppers so I can plant my fall garden. So if I have 16 raised beds, I can go ahead and use, if if I had some beds that simply just had cover crop in them, then I terminate the cover crop and plant the new season's vegetables. Okay. Okay. Again, if that's the basis, you've already made your decision. We need 16 beds. That's an argument for doing it. The downside of adding four more beds, if you will permit me, which I think you and I have discussed, is how effectively can you control the weeds in 16 beds as opposed to 12? And I realize that's that's an issue. You would never leave it fallow. You would have it blanketed with cover crop and I have found that lupin and black oats were pretty good at weed suppression when they were growing. Um, okay, so it sounds like you've made your decision. We're going to have four more beds. You know, but not okay. right away. Well, sounds like you're ready to add them as soon as we are able and yeah. have the, the resources to add them. I guess I am. Okay. I, that, I'm, I don't quarrel with that as long as you are comfortable that you can keep them maintained and so forth i am and it sounds as if you are so so you heard it here first this is a decision we've made we're going to add those four more beds as soon as lee recovers from surgery and is able to focus on it sounds good well i guess that we have uh, finished up with our time you have been patient with us and we appreciate it and we will look forward to visiting with you next week maybe we'll be able to share some good news with you about the surgery You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. 
Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.